You know what we've realized, Dan, is that we uh, we haven't discussed anything about Italy yet. I know it's absolutely criminal. Um, you know, as seeing as it's one of the absolute hot spots of football in the world, not just Europe but the world. Um, I have been there. I'm going to save a kind of particularly rude story for a later podcast. I think um, I have to get permission from the missus for that one, <laughs> just to kind of whet your appetite. But um, yeah, but we're going to put that right today, which I'm excited for. But first of all, what are you drinking, Gav? Uh, a Waterloo Dark tonight. Keeping it relatively simple. What about you? I, I'm another another dark beer. Um, possibly one of my favourites now. Um, Founders uh, Porter which underneath port it says dark, rich, and sexy, which I'm sure you agree could be describing me. Yes, right, of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so when we're, when we're talking, uh, us being in Canada, when we're talking Italy, both soccer, food, anything of that, uh, anything of that nature, I can think of no one better to join us than uh, Mr. John Molinaro. Hi, John. Thanks for joining us. Guys, how are you? Very good, thank, thank you. you. So we're going to... Uh, go all the way down to the the very toe of the boot that is Italy, and you went to a game once um, in Regina in Calabria. Where you saw your your beloved Juventus taking on Regina. When how long ago was that, John? So that would have been during the two thousand and two two thousand and three Serie A season, and the date was uh, September twenty seventh, uh, two thousand and three. Oh wow! So you, do you did you have to kind of go back to kind of recall that date, or do you actually know that off the top of your head? No, I mean I knew the general sort of time frame. I knew it was September two thousand and three. I didn't know the exact date, but uh, yeah. So I actually did a little bit of research for this, <laughs> just kind of going back and recalling the date and whatnot. So, but yeah, it was. Uh, I was. I was actually in in Italy on vacation in Rome, uh, spending time with my cousins, and Juventus just happened to be playing in southern Italy then. So uh, I hopped on a train, did the six-hour train ride, hooked up with another uh, cousin of mine in, in Reggio, which is the largest city in Calabria, and uh, spent some a few days there, and then we went to the game. And uh, how easy was it to get tickets? It seemed like it was a spur-of-the-moment thing. It was very spur-of-the-moment. I mean, I um, I remember in Rome, I was, as I said, I was in Rome, and I was kind of staying with uh, two of my um, cousins and one of them said, hey, you know, we just heard from, um, you know, John Franco, my cousin who lives in down in Calabria, and said, you know, he can get tickets for the game on Sunday if, if you want to go. You can take the train down on Friday, spend the weekend, and then go to the game on Sunday. So that's pretty much what happened. We, I, you know, he got the tickets, took the train down, got to spend some time with my cousin down in beautiful southern Italy, and then we went to the game, and which, uh, yeah, good to see Juve win. And um, it was just kind of a cool because... Uh, Stadio Oreste Granillo is not San Siro. It is not Stadio Olimpico. It is a very sort of modest, you know, 28,000 seat stadium with, you know, none of the sort of uh, common luxuries that we expect from uh, stadiums today. today. But uh, a good experience overall. I really enjoyed the time down there. No, I, I looked at the uh, an image of it and to me it does look very, very Italian with the, you know, no roofs over the stands, very open. Um, I remember a story about... Um, five years ago of a Juventus fan um, trying to go and watch his team away at Crotone, the other, the other kind of big-ish Calabrian club, and he tried to admit himself into a local hospital complaining of an illness because he wanted to get a, a good room in a hospital because it overlooked Crotone Stadium. Um, were there 
any such opportunities like this at Regina's Ground? Were there like you know apartment buildings perhaps overlooking the ground or anything like that? No, as as far as I remember, there wasn't anything around that. I mean, it's kind of in a um, in a busy area of the, of the town. If I remember, it's quite it's located quite centrally, but it's not sort of over. It's not in a in a neighborhood with any sort of like big you know sort of apartment buildings like that or anything like that. So unless you were actually in the stadium, you wouldn't be able to watch the game. Now. Uh, what's it like you know you uh you know a juventus fan you go down there is an area where it's it's separate juve fans separate which we're able to sort of mingle about well that's the funny thing so it does have i mean it kind of it sounds like i'm um sort of making this up but they actually have this sort of one area in the south i guess one of the ends i can't remember if it's south or north but sort of dedicated for away fans which isn't unusual in, in football stadiums around the world but they were sort of penned in by an actual chain link fence so they were sort of caged in essentially uh but that's not where we had our seats uh my my cousin was able to get us you know seats really pretty much at the center halfway line about 10 rows up so we had a really good view uh, but i remember him you know quite specifically as we were walking to the stadium because even before we got in the car to make the drive to the stadium he's just like you know don't you're not bringing your Juventus jersey. You're not bringing your Juventus scarf or anything like that. And then I remember getting out of the car or the parking lot and, and you know, walking to the, um, walking into the front entrance. And he pulled me aside and he said, look, you know, because at the time Juventus, I mean, they had reached the Champions League final back, you know, just in that May. They had won the Serie A, the Scudetto the previous season. They were one of the top teams in Europe. So Regina is, you know... Honestly, it's a yo-yo club, right? If it comes up to Serie A, then usually it goes back down the next year. Sometimes it might stay an extra year. So this was, you know, really sort of a mismatch on paper. And um, but like him, he was like me. He's a diehard Juve fan as well. But he, I remember as we got into the stadium, he pulled me aside. And he said, "Look, you know, I think we both know what's going to happen today. But no matter what you do, you cannot react." <laughs> <laughs> when Juventus scores because these people will kill you. I mean they are, you know, they are that sort of fanatical about it. You know, it would have been we would have been safe if we were in that sort of paged can paged um uh sorry, caged fenced in area, you know, with, with the away fans, but you know, we were like sitting amongst, you know, Regina fans. We had no sort of other Juventus fans around us. Well, I mean, none that I could tell. I mean, there might be someone, you know, incognito like we were. But um and I remember Marco De Vallo, um, you know, obviously who went on to play in MLS with Montreal, scoring very early on. And it took everything I had in my body to not sort of react when he scored. Um, and then Pavel Nedved, of course, scored early in the second half. And, uh, you know, same thing. And I, I can remember uh, Regina had a penalty decision that didn't go their way. Um, you know, I th and as I recall, it was a pretty clear penalty, but the referee didn't give it. And, you know... Absolutely, just you know, the whole stadium erupts and starts um, chanting "Venduta," which means essentially bribery that they've been bought off. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, chanting at the ref. So it was just like, and I, I turned to my cousin because my Italian isn't all that great, to be perfectly honest. And I was like, "Well, what are they yelling?" And he basically told me, and uh, it was just you know, I let out like a small sort of uh, smirk at the side of my face, uh, my, my mouth. But uh, such an intense. Um, you know, for such a modest, you know, pretty uh, provincial team, uh, an incredibly passionate uh, fan base. I mean, they really sort of take it seriously down there because really it's the only thing that they have in terms of professional sports. 
Um, and I think they take a great, I mean, Calabria doesn't have much. I mean, when you think of Italy, I think most people tend to think of Rome or, or Milan or Verona or Fiorentina. Calabria, the state is, you know, it's a southern state. It doesn't have much going for it except for its beaches, which are quite nice. And it's really sort of seen as, um, you know, Italy's kind of like a black black sheep in the family kind of thing. Because generally the northern Italians, there's a real, I should explain, there's a real northern-south divide in Italy. So the northerners really look down their noses on southerners because they just see them as peasant farmers who, who are uneducated and are all on welfare and don't do anything. Whereas the southerners think... You know, the Northerners are all a bunch of high-bred uh, know-it-alls who, you know, if not for the Southerners, where all the farms are located in Italy, the Northerners wouldn't eat. So there's real, um, there's real animosity, uh, cultural and geographic and uh, just societal animosity, a real north-south divide. So when you're talking about Juventus, you're talking about, you know, the true north of, of uh, Italy. It's located in Piemonte, which is one of the most northern states, versus, you know, deep south. There is no sort of southern, more southern province in, in, in Italy than Calabria. So you have these sort of two dynamics going, you know, against each other. Against each other. So, I mean, the passions in, in for a Regina home game are pretty, you know, uh, intense under normal circumstances. But when a team like Juventus or Inter Milan or Milan comes to town, you know, from, nor- from northern Italy, then that gets amped. And, and thus, you know, that's why my cousin warned me not to, just to keep quiet and not let my joy come through. And um, where does, you know, how... How much does it kind of grow to an extent of that kind of like South pride and that kind of hate of the North? Say like when Regina were out of the leagues and Crotone were in the in the, in Syria and you know obviously Napoli is Syria mainstays and certainly the biggest team in the South. Would you know people from Calabria would they get behind Napoli? Would they all get behind Crotone regardless of their colours because you no know, they represent the South and you know basically two you know two fingers one finger up to, you know, to the North basically. Yeah, I think there is certainly there certainly is that sort of northern sort of pride that um, that you know regardless of who you're supporting if if your team isn't in Syria but there's another team from southern Italy then you probably uh, you know, not that you would necessarily go out and and buy a scarf and a t- and a jersey of that team, but you would certainly sort of take pride that uh, you know a, a southern team is in Syria. I mean, my father, who was born in Reggio, um, you know, obviously he likes to see the Regina in the in in Syria. But whenever whenever a you know a southern Italian team you know is doing well in Syria, whether it's you know Napoli or Crotone or Benevento or whatever, then. He, he takes a great deal of pride in that. So I think there is, you, you will see a lot of sort of uh, Southern pride in that. And just, you know, again, because they're really seen as as peasants by the rest of Italy, they really like to stick it to the North whenever they can. And they really, there is the sense of Southern solid, solidarity to a certain extent. So, yeah, I, I do think you see it a little bit. <laughs> uh, you, you had me thinking as soon as he said farms, you know, of course, you know, outside of soccer, everyone thinks food, and that's what we also like to talk about. And uh, when, how much, well, first of all, how much time did you actually get outside of, outside of the ground? And second, you know, a, a, a big food guy like yourself, what, uh, what did you get to indulge in there? So I was there for about three or four days. Um, so took the train down on the Friday, game was on Sunday, and then took the train back to Rome on I think Monday or the Tuesday so I would have been there for three or four days um you know Reggio is is it's next to the Ionian Sea so obviously fish and seafood is is a big deal there um the other thing too is in southern Italy it's not unusual for you know 
for people who live in the city, they'll also have kind of like a small patch of land out in the farmland where they can kind of grow their own fruits and vegetables. And that's what my uncle and aunt had. They had this sort of, it's kind of like a commune where, you know, people buy into it and you're, and you're, you have a certain sort of parcel of land uh, and you, and you can grow whatever you want. So I can remember, you know, one day my, my uncle taking me to that farm and he had, uh, you know, fig trees, which, you know, I don't know if, 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 you know, figs aren't sort of, you know, too common in, in, uh, in Canada, but for me, there is no better fresh fruit than figs. I mean, this is just a remar- spectacularly awesome uh, fruit. And so to be able to eat sort of fresh figs, pick them off the tree and eat them um, with, you know, wh- when you can tell figs are really sweet is that they'll have, um, you know, little, either little dribbles, of, little dribbles of milk or little, little dribbles of honey coming from like this uh, opening that they have at the bottom of them. And these were just, you know, immersed with sticky sweet honey. They were that sweet. So it was, you know, fantastic to eat fresh figs. So ate a lot of figs, ate a lot of fresh fish. Um, my uncle, not unlike a lot of Southern Italians, uh, makes his own um, soprasata, which is kind of like a hardened kind of salami. So uh, ate a fair bit of that. Um, I'm trying to think what else. And, you know, my aunt uh, was there, so she made up... Um, uh, I think her big thing was on uh, our first kind of Sunday lunch. See, Italians, we really don't have like Sunday dinners. I think that's like the common um, uh, tradition in, in England. I mean, we have more Sunday sort of brunch. That's kind of like our big deal. So, I mean, she made kind of three different types of pasta with, you know, sausage and veal and pork. And it was just, you know, spectacular. So it was, uh, yeah, we ate well for the, I, I mean, I ate really well for the four days I was there. Those those peasants. That sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> yeah, sounds amazing. Yeah. So what? So is the main thing that differentiates Calabrian food from the rest of Italy the amount of um, seafood you get in? Yeah, I think it's that. It's it's. I mean, it is really much sort of the food belt of the uh, of of the nation, right? I mean, when you look at sort of all the wheat <laughs> for all the pasta that gets made, uh, you know, everything that that's, this is where it comes from, right? And. Um, peppers too obviously i mean calabrian hot peppers are kind of legendary and um so and you know uh calabrians will do a variety of things with them whether it's sort of fry them or stuff them or pickle them um you know pickled uh calabrian hot peppers are fantastic um so they'll they'll do that uh there's a lot of lemon groves in calabria there's a lot of uh, other fruit kind of like apricots and, and whatnot so it's really Kind of a, um, because the climate is so, um, I won't say tropical, but it's quite, you know, warm, right? And, you know, there's a lot of sort of fertile soil. So it's really ideal growing conditions. And so a lot of, a lot of the, you know, the nation's sort of fruit and vegetables are, are grown down there. So now, now sort of bringing, tying it all together, I don't know if you remembered when you're going to the stadium, is there much in the way of, you know, food and drink outside and, and what's it like inside? Like what are, what are, what are people having when they're going to a game? No, it's sparse. I mean, as I think I mentioned earlier, I mean, this wasn't sort of the traditional, sort of the home comforts of stadiums that we, of, that we take for granted here in Canada are, are were non-existent at the Stadio Granillo. So, I mean, just to give you an example, going to the bathroom, um, I mean, I don't want to put too too much of a fine point on this, but, you know, one of the, you know, filthiest sort of restrooms I've ever been to with, you know, no doors on sort of the individual stalls, 
no running water to wash your hands on. I can't even remember if there was toilet paper. I probably figured something out. So, you know, re it really was kind of disgraceful that a Syria stadium was operating like this. Uh, and as far as I remember, I mean, there wasn't really any sort of concessions other than kind of guys walking around up and down the aisle selling bottled water. Um, and I think I remember a, a, my cousin making a point of it. Like, we ate before we left, right? We left, we, we ate at the house. And then we went to the game and then because he's made a point of saying, look, you're not going to be able to have like anything at the game because there's just not anything we're like really available. There might have been, you know, a popcorn vendor or something like that. But it's not like it's not like here going up to the concession stands, you know, at BMO Field in Toronto and being able to order, you know, any you have. There's no shortage of you know food options. That wasn't the case there. I mean, it was, you know, absolutely sparse, uh, you know, in terms of food uh, conditions. When I um, visited the Stadio Olimpico to watch Lazio versus Napoli a few years back, I seem to recall it being quite sparse as well in the way of food and drink and stuff. Um, you know, perhaps at some of the more you know fancier stadiums you've been to in Italy, is there like a you know England has a chicken bolti pie? Is there an Italian equivalent of a you know a classic football snack, or do they just not bothered about? No, that? they're not. To be honest, Daniel, they're not really bothered about it. And I take your point about Stadio Olimpico in Rome because I've been to a lot of games there as well, and. You know, I would have thought there would have been some decent food options there, but really there wasn't. I mean, it was, you know, chopped or chips and popcorn and pop and beer, and that's about it. Um, it's really, Italians really don't sort of put that much stress on food at games. Uh, I think what you'll find is that a majority of Italians who eat at games, they bring their own food. I mean, I haven't, it's, it's not unusual. You know, I remember being at games in Stadio Olimpico in Rome and, you know, guy would a guy would you know pulled out Tupperwares of like pasta while he was eating. You know, while he was watching the game, or you know they'd have like sandwiches, or they had like a small cooler of wine, and you know they'd be passing that around. I mean, how they got that into the stadium and passed through security, I'll never know. But I think Italians feel that um, you know why would I why would I spend money on like second rate food when I can just you know make something my own and bring it in? I mean, that's just sort of their mentality. But so no, I mean, there's not the same sort of tradition of food and uh, surrounding the Italian game as there is, uh, you know, as in England. I mean, I think, again, I think what I found is that most Italians, if they're going to eat at games, it's usually stuff that they bring from home. It, it just makes me think of how how here we go to games and you have to check your, you know, your bags with, and you know, no outside food. And it's just... It's just another world where, yeah, come on in, bring your own food, you know. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, I'm I'm not exaggerating. When a guy like he pulled out several cup Tupperwares, and it was like pasta, and I think he had some sort of meat dish in there, and it was like he was having like a meal, um, you know. So I mean, that's I think you're you're more likely to see something like that than you know than like people like sort of going to some sort of concessions if there are any in the Italian game. Massive respect to their sneaking in booze. You're giving me like flashbacks of before before the Blue Jays had those kind of like airport kind of you know metal detector checkers. Me and my mates would um, you know have a you know buy a 12 inch Subway earlier in the day, choke it down because it's just not very nice. But then use a Subway wrapper to put two tour cans in. So then they thought you're bringing in the Subway for the game. <laughs> that worked magnificently until they brought in those metal detectors. So. Perhaps a tip for somebody travelling abroad where they haven't got those metal detectors, just get a subway, put two tour cans in, you're laughing. Oh, smart. Very smart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, the the other thing I think about is you know a lot of these places, especially you, you know if a tourist were to wander down, you know one of those ones. So yeah, I'm gonna go go watch a game. What's 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 a merchandise like? Can they get a scarf? Can they get a shirt? Is there is there much in the way of that? I, I mean, not really. I mean, there's um, there's there's certainly vendors outside the stadium, and so there's kind of like um, you know black market stuff, bootleg stuff. But you know, in terms of there being sort of, you know, merchandise stalls in the stadium. And that's, it wasn't just Stadio Granilla. I mean, I, I mean, if we're talking about going to Rome, same thing. I mean, there's no sort of like places inside the stadium that I can recall at all that you could get like a stadium or a, a shirt or a scarf. But outside, I mean, it's kind of like a flea market. It's really, um, you know, outside in the parking lot, it's just like kind of like a massive congregation of fans and, you know, they're hawking everything. And it's, it's really quite something. I mean, I, not to bring music into it, but it kind of almost reminds me of kind of a scene outside of like a Grateful Dead concert where, you know, people are from all over the sort of like the area are just congregating in this one place and it's this one big party and there's a guy with scarves, there's a guy with shirts, there's a guy with, you know, selling whatever. You can pretty much find anything. So that was kind of cool. I mean, it was kind of like an ad hoc kind of like flea market. But in terms of, you know, access to merchandise inside the stadium, no. It's just making me think of, you know, in North America, everything now is, is, is a team. Everything's dri- driven through the marketing department where there's, you know, you put a logo on just about anything. And this feels almost more more fan-driven, more organic, and, and almost just more natural. Yeah, I think it's that. But I also think it's just, A, it's laziness on the part of the Italians because it's be like, oh, you mean we got to, like, print up shirts and have, like, a stall and, like, hire someone to, like, collect the money and all that? And it's like, oh, that seems like a lot of bother. So I think it's like laziness on their part. And B, I mean, I don't think they just have, I don't think they think about it that way. I mean, the stuff that you and I take for granted that we would see like in an MLS stadium or a Premier League stadium. Well, yeah, of course you're going to have, you know, uh, merchandise available because they think like that. Right. I mean, I think, you know, the Italians, God bless them. um, They kind of think of the football first and then. You know, oh, we'll worry about the business side and everything surrounding it later. Whereas I think with English teams, you know, and probably this says as a lot as to why they're, um, you know, they're such wealthy English teams is they see the whole picture together, right? I mean, they, they, they understand that selling jerseys is, is a huge part of the business plan. The Italians don't just don't see it that way. I mean, it's gotten better. Um, I think if you go to Juventus Stadium in Turin, from what, and I haven't been, but from what I understand, that's kind of like a modern football ground with you know, concessions and merchandise and everything. But for the most part, um, you know, Italians, um, I just don't think they think about that stuff uh, nearly enough as they should. And if you're getting a Regina shirt, I honestly don't know what player you get on the back because I was looking at their history and, you know, I'd love somebody to kind of abuse me on Twitter for this, but they look like a really, you know, modest club, um, perhaps not a great deal of like, you know, classic players passing through their ranks over the years. So I don't know who you get on the back. I mean, I know that Rolando Bianchi came through there because uh, Manchester City signed him from Regina after he had a half-decent season there. Um, and surprisingly, I looked at the squad before I came on here and Jeremy Menez is currently at Regina, um, who, yeah, which really surprised me because um, he's one of my players along with Colin Kazim Richards, who I think has had like one of the best careers in football because like, he's played for like, Monaco, he's played in Monaco, he's played in Rome, he's played in Paris, he's played in Milan, Bordeaux, Mexico City, like he's had an amazing, amazing career, but I don't know why he's at Regina now. But yeah, it's just a very modest club, one that went into a little bit of financial hardship at one point, but that they haven't had a great deal to shout about, have they? 
No, no, they haven't. I mean, as I said, it's very much a yo-yo club. I mean, it's traditionally they spent you know the bulk of their time in the lower leagues. I mean, occasionally they'll come up to Serie A and they'll sort of survive the drop. But I can't recall like any sort of sustained run where they've been in the top flight for any sort of real length of time. I mean, I think the mo- wasn't there like that famous uh, Japanese player who went on to play for Celtic? Um, was was no. it? Nakamura. Yeah, like he, I'm pretty sure he was at Regina for a time. Oh, okay. I didn't know he'd come from Regina. There we go. Yeah, because he, he had um, he, his left foot could open a tin of baked beans, couldn't it? He? he had a beautiful free kick technique. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, he was, uh, yeah. Just, um, yeah, I'm looking up here. He was there from 2002 to 2005. So there you go. Mad to say, okay, so that's that's pretty good. Well, they they must have done some fantastic marketing then. Uh, you know, in in it's it's Japan. funny that I remember that because uh, I just remember that because I do remember seeing like quite a few um, uh, Japanese fans at the game, and so uh, you know, interesting that they made the track to see uh, you know one of their heroes at the game. Uh, but again, there would have been nothing for them to like sort of oh let's get a Nakamura jersey unless they went out of the parking lot and got something like off a street vendor. You mentioned Japanese fans there. Anytime I've covered like an international event, there's always like a throng of Japanese reporters as well. I know this is a baseball reference, John, too, but whenever there's a Japanese baseball player, they each have their own essential traveling media throng with them. And I'm just wondering, you know, what, you know, if a guy's playing in the Serie A, if he has, uh, you know, Japanese journalists covering the team, it's just making me wonder if, if the, the press box was half full of Japanese media covering him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that I wouldn't know. I mean, I can't even, like, I mean, I've just described what the, like, sort of like the seating area was like. I can't imagine the sort of press box was anything sort of, you know, magnificent. <laughs> but it wouldn't have surprised me if, if there was some sort of Japanese media there. Because I remember at the time, I mean, Nakamura was, this was his first, like, European club. Because obviously he played in his native Japan. And so this was his first sort of big European club. Um, you know, who was coming off, uh, you know, the World Cup the year before. So it was like a pretty big deal that like an Asian player of his caliber was playing in Syria, albeit with, you know, a modest club like Regina. So um, that's why I, I kind of rem- remember just now that there I was just, yeah, that there were quite a few number of Japanese fans in the stands at the game. Now, you briefly mentioned the um, the coastline, um, that it was quite nice. I mean, according to the ever-reliable ever Wikipedia, there are 485 miles of coastline, so there's quite a lot to uh, to have a look at. Um, they've got um, two massive viaducts as well, I believe, in Calabria as well, which uh, I'm a bit of a, a viaduct nerd. I do like a nice high bridge. Um, uh, is the scenery nice there? Were you able to have a little bit of nerd out, see some beautiful scenery? Yeah, I mean, it's, it really is sort of a beautiful part of, of Italy. Uh, you know, the beaches are spectacular. I mean, it's it's where my family is originally from. So, I mean, I had been to Calabria a few times earlier as, as in my life as a, as a child. But to go there as an adult and kind of see it and really appreciate sort of the rugged beauty of, of, the, of, of the province was, was pretty special. I mean, um, beaches are spectacular. The weather is, you know, really nice. It has some sort of mountainous, mountainous areas as well where, you know, we went... Uh, uh, a friend, uh, a friend of my cousin's had this kind of little college, and he had a cottage, and he had um, sort of lemon trees in his backyard. Uh, and from that, we could over oversee the uh, Ionian Sea. So that was quite nice. And even from inside the stadium, because Calabria and and um, and uh, Sicily are, I mean, they're very close. It's just kind of like a strait of uh, whatever it is, the the Messina Strait that separates them. You, 
from sitting inside the stadium, you could actually see, look into Sicily. That's how close it was. So, I mean, that was pretty fascinating, too. That was, that was probably one of the best views I saw while I was there. Now, we always, we, we, Dana, we, we like to chat and we like to travel places where, you know, it's not necessarily the tourist trap where you're not just swimming in tourists is you are you far enough away from rome that you know there aren't a whole bunch of you know people from north america crowding around everywhere oh yeah definitely i mean yeah i mean again i think when people tend to think of italy they'll think of rome or milan or you know florence or verona uh they don't tend to think of going to calabria but it's interesting that you know, when Italians want to go away for vacation and they want to sort of like, you know, stay locally, they'll go down south because of, you know, the, the great beaches and everything. And so it's not unusual for like even my cousin in Rome, obviously he lives in, 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 in the capital, but she also has an apartment, uh, like a summer sort of apartment in in, um, in Calabria. And, you know, Italians are, are famous for um, going to sea during the holidays, right? Like during the summer, they they want to sort of be, go to the beach and go somewhere where there's water. So, I mean, they'll take large stretches of the summer off and quit in, from their job and just go down south. So it's sort of a destination for for Italians in other part of the country, but not so much for, uh, you know, tourists from other part of the world. So it's the, the north-south divide sort of stops as soon as people start thinking about their vacation. Yeah, exactly. Or, 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 and if they want to eat again, I mean, it's funny that you know the northerners look down their down their nose at the southerners, you know, call them all sort of welfare recipients and you know peasants and whatnot. But again, as my father says, it wasn't if it wasn't for the south, the north wouldn't eat um, because that's where it's, it's it is the breadbasket of the country. So uh, you know, and and you know, Calabrians are, are quick to remind the northerners that northerners of that whenever um, you know they get sort of you know, too big for their britches, so to speak. And so, John, you, you know, you know your food, you've tra- traveled around Italy and tried some of the best stuff, and I've seen some of the stuff you cook up, and it looks very, very nice. So I wanted to ask you, what is the worst bastardization of Italian food you've seen? Just in general, and I'm not talking about on your holidays or something like that, because and I'm talking about, you know, perhaps a frozen food aisle in the supermarket, perhaps at somebody's house, perhaps on the street. Like, what is the worst bastardization of Italian food you can think of? I've got I've got two things. One is, and I know that there's this is a great divide amongst sort of people, but you know, pineapple on pizza is an abomin- abomination. It's wrong, absolutely wrong. Absolutely, I agree too. Yeah. Absolutely, you know, one hundred percent wrong. There is no absolutely no justification for that, and that to me is you know one of the ultimate bastardizations of Italian food culture. And we're talking about one of the great food cultures in in you know, in the world. So that to me is, um, you know, one of the big ones. The other thing that I've kind of seen over the couple of years is, you know, and, you know, gotta love Pizza Hut. Uh, what is it that the hot dog stuff crust? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, I haven't even seen that. That sounds awful. Yeah, first they went hot, first they went stuffed crust and then they added hot dogs into it. Yeah, I mean, come on. Well, I mean, what are we doing here? I mean, like, <laughs> we're, we're trying to have a civilization here and like you're, you're stuffing like hot dogs into pizza crust. I'm sorry, but you know that that's just I mean that's just plain disgusting. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's wrong too on so many on so many thing, on so many levels. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any other ones I really kind of can't stand. I mean, that to me are the two that really stand out. I'm sure there's countless bastardizations, but those two that are those are the two that immediately spring to mind. 
I know you once. I know you once uh, chastised me a little bit for talking about making a Putinesca using anchovy paste, and you went, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> no, I mean, th- yeah, you should use sort of like you know, f- f- uh, you know, actual anchovy fillets. I actually do have some now with that stuck in my mind, so that's ready for next time. <laughs> there you go. But I mean, I can forgive paste. I mean, if that's all you had, then fair enough. Well, I'm going to insult a city that I actually really, really like here, but um, I Chicago gets a lot right. But a deep dish pizza for me is just absolutely unnecessary. It's disgusting. It's a casserole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's awful. I mean, you have to understand. I mean, like what 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 Italians see is. I mean, if Italians came here and saw what we did to pizza, they'd be aghast because, you know, Italian pizza. It's not about stuffing it, you know, anything in the crust, and it's not about like ten or twelve toppings. It's about very simple ingredients and blending them together in a very sort of modest and understated way. So, I mean, my, my favorite pizza in, in Italy is just, um, they'll do like kind of sliced eggplant and sort of fry them, you know, in, in olive oil. And you put that on pizza with a little bit of cheese and that's it. And it's just, you know, the simplicity of the ingredients and the simplicity of the presentation. That's what pizza is. It's not about, again, stuffing it with crust and pouring like poutine on it or whatever. It's just very <laughs> simple. And I think, again... Italians would, you know, lose their shit if they, you know, found out what we're, if they saw the pizza over here. I think I can make you squirm one more time here, John. Um, I had a, uh, at secondary school, I had an awful food teacher. Um, she was shocking. And, it, and I'm not just bitter about it because she always put me on a naughty table for no reason. But she was just really, really bad. It was the only exam that I failed at secondary school. And, um, you know, she, at one point I remember we made pizza in class, and, but we had to bring in like a ready-made pizza base for it. Um, but the worst of all, and I'm not going to do much for the reputation of Brits having terrible food here, which is completely untrue. This was just a bad teacher. We were asked to make a kind of like a mushroomy kind of like pasta thing, which, you know, sounds quite interesting. Basically, all it was was boil up some pasta and throw in some Heinz mushroom soup. And that was it. That was our class. It was disgusting. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> so, so if I could just uh, sum sum things up really quickly here, just so so if if I'm you know if I'm like you, uh, just hopping a train down, going to the very southern tip of the what you know whether it's for soccer, whether it's for uh, you know just enjoying some beaches. What 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 should I enjoy down there? I think every, I mean, first of all, I think the people are really friendly. Uh, I think they're very warm people. Um, you know, it's very warm weather, obviously, because it's southern Italy. So, I mean, you know, very little rain. It's it's very sort of hot. It's a dry heat, but it's very hot. And, I, you know, take full advantage of the bounty of food down there, whether it's the, you know, the seafood and the fish from, from the Ionian Sea, or it's, you know, my personal favorite, the figs. Or the Calabrian hot peppers, but um, you know, I think it's just everything from like the food, the people, to the to the scenery. Uh, it's all it's just a wonderful, untouched uh, province. Um, you know, it really is. You know, one of um, you know one of my you know I, one of the places in the world that is really special to me. Obviously, because of my family connection, but uh, just the sort of you know sheer beauty of the province. It's it's really something to behold. Wow, I want to visit. You sold it to me. There you go. Well, Dan, should we wrap this one up? Yeah, yeah. I no, Thank you so much for coming on, John. I had a lot of fun there. Um, not just winding you up about food, but also hearing about what sounds like a, a beautiful place in the world. Sure, no problem.
Thanks again, John. And Dan, uh, that's another one for us. Uh, yeah, I'm Gavin Day. He's Dan Rouse, the former board member for Hallam FC. And we'll uh, <laughs> figure out where we can chat about next time.